All right, welcome again to another edition of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, PK, and alongside me this week, as always, we have Eric Roseberry. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How's it going? I'm doing okay. And uh, from Denver, Wick Terrell. Wick, how are you? I'm fantastic. Glad to be back, guys. Or, or as it as it shows in your uh, in our uh, internal chat window, Wick Alberto Bonilla. Which I didn't know that that's what that was short for, Wick. I learned something new today. It's it's a long uh, long storied history of my uh, my family name. It's actually the third middle name for my second great uncle. So um, there you go, Wick Alberto. Very very nice. And so, uh, and our guest this week, we have uh, from Fox Sports Ohio, uh, Joel Luckup. Joel, how are you? Hi, how are you? Joel, I'm, we're, we're doing good. Uh, so, Joel, as, as I'm sure all of you know, Joel used to uh, write for Red Reporter and be, run Red Reporter. So, it's a, a homecoming of sorts. Yeah, I used to work with you guys. You did. You, you Actually, hired me. Actually, now that I think about it, I don't think I'm not even sure. If, Wick, were you there by the time I left? Before I, I left, I've, I've been commenting for several years when you were there for sure. I think <laughs> I got started uh, when when Brendan was cutting down on recaps right before you left. I think is when I got started. That would have been like okay, mid, yeah, mid 2011, something like that. But but see, I didn't even know your name then. You were Kevin Mitchell as Batman back then. Yeah, that's I was I was Kevin on most every email I got for the. For the better part of two years at that point, yeah, I miss those days. Well, yeah. cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, um, it's been well. We've been doing this uh, weekly, if you if you guys can uh, believe it, since the start of the year. So, this is uh, the fifth the fifth episode of 2017 that we've done, and wow, we actually have some pretty big news to talk about this time. So, um, Brandon Phillips is no longer a red. He has. He Wait, has when did that happen? It happened uh, yesterday. Okay. Officially, so, and we are recording. We're recording this on Monday night, the thirteenth. So, this is pretty pretty new territory for us. Although it feels like it's something we've been talking about just forever. So, I don't I don't know if it took any of us by surprise, but just kind of let's just go over initial thoughts of uh, the Reds trading Brandon Phillips. Uh, what do you think ultimately changed for Brandon? I think, uh, you know, Zach Buchanan chalked it up too. He's probably guaranteed a little more playing time in Atlanta. Do you think that was pretty much the whole basis for finally pulling the trigger on this? I, I have no inside information on this, but my guess is that back in November, they wouldn't promise him a no trade clause. And now they did. That's That's just a guess, though. Right. Well, and I think another thing too. I mean, Atlanta's needs kind of changed between then and now too, with uh, the Sean Rodriguez needing surgery on that shoulder. So, you know, I think that maybe they might have been willing to do a little bit more and kind of appease Brandon Phillips a little bit more than they were willing to previously. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely got something to do with it. Um, my, my wonder is, and obviously without getting into Brandon Phillips' head, you have no way of knowing this. I wonder if he kind of thought that, hey, if I keep, you know, turning down these trades that they 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 keep bringing up and bringing to me, maybe they'll trade Zach Cozart. And if they trade Zach Cozart, then that opens up those bats in the middle infield for the guys like Peraza that 
obviously have been waiting in the wings to 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 take over and that would have allowed him to uh you know stick around in Cincinnati uh ride into the sunset a little bit so to speak and also still uh be that everyday guy for the franchise that he's been with for 11 years and I think well I don't know if I think but I do wonder if uh as the season got closer and closer and that became less and less of a uh, a tangible idea uh if he became more open to realizing okay well hey Obviously, they've been trying to move me. They can't move Cozart. You know, the writing's a little bit more on the wall than it might have been uh, two months ago when uh, you know the the first talks of the Atlanta Braves move really started to to come to fore. Because that that just seems like uh, uh, there was something completely uh, different going through his mind now than there was two months ago. Despite the fact that there hadn't really been anything on the Reds end, at least publicly, to suggest that there should have been. So yeah, I think Sean Rodriguez getting hurt. It was very convenient. Uh, given his connections with Atlanta. Uh, but I also wonder if Cozart uh, uh, still being with the Reds is something that he's kind of had his eye on, at least out of the side of his eye uh, throughout this entire process. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, there must've been kind of something internally, you know, we don't know what happened, you know, w- what kind of talks happened between him and, you know, Dick Williams and Brian Price. And if anything that, you know, they were saying, in the last couple of months with, you know, in Reds Fest and all this stuff, all the press conferences and stuff that they've been talking to the media since then. But, you know, maybe he kind of looked at it a little bit differently and, you know, maybe didn't have that, you know, hey, I'm obviously going to be the starting second baseman mentality. And, you know, I, I think that maybe in the Wall Jockey era, maybe they wouldn't have put it, he wouldn't have put it past them to, you know, hey, like, it seems like it was kind of unheard of in Brandon Phillips' mind, which I, I'm not going to, I can't really go into Brandon Phillips with what's going on in his mind, but um, I think that that's probably, you know, some something within his mindset changed. So I'll give, uh, I'll give Dick Williams a shout out here as well because. You know, he's obviously been GM and waiting for a year and then took over for this particular winner. And he's had deals in place to trade Brandon Phillips that we know of at least three times since he at least got the the uh, the arbitrary designation as GM before taking over for Jockety. But uh, since he got that promotion, it's it's been clear that the Reds front office has tried and tried and tried and tried to move Brandon Phillips and been repeatedly rebuffed by Phillips and his 10-5 rights, which he obviously earned and and deserved. Uh, but props to Dick Williams for not throwing up his hands and saying, hey, you know, I can't move him. It's not going to happen, whatever, and moving on. He, he stayed persistent with it uh, because it's obvious that that's a key part of the way that they wanted to construct this rebuild. Uh, and he didn't bail on the idea. He stuck with it and finally found a suitor. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a pretty good indication of – uh, someone who has a plan and is willing to stick to it. Now, obviously, whether it pans out the way he wants to is still to be determined. Uh, but yeah, I think he at least deserves some credit for not abandoning the concept of this, despite a lot of factors and roadblocks being in his face. Right. And another thing we can talk about just to, just briefly is the return, what they got from the Braves from uh, for Brandon Phillips, which is um, lefty pitcher Andrew McKeerahan and righty pitcher Carlos Portuondo. Which um, you know, neither of those guys are really prospects per se. Uh, McKeerahan kind of got a cup of coffee a couple, a couple of years ago, and then had Tommy John, 
but has had you know a host of issues prior to that with a, I guess a PED suspension and uh, another Tommy John. So that's you know he, he, I, he seems like he's kind of a lottery ticket to me where you know if maybe they bring him to AAA, he impresses them early on in the season, and then he can kind of eat some innings down the stretch um, as long as he's healthy. But And then Carlos Potuondo, an interesting guy, spent a lot of time in the Cuban League, and then the Braves gave him almost a million dollars as a signing bonus to, uh, to play for them. Last year was his first season there. But he's 29 now, so he's not really much of a prospect. So he's kind of an, he's an interesting an interesting arm, I guess you could say. Um, you know, do you guys have any thoughts on the return for Phillips? Um, so just look it up. Like it, it's actually you know, pure coincidence that the Reds managed to claim off waivers uh, uh, a guy today. My my namesake, um, Luis Alberto Bonilla. But that kind of led me down a baseball reference uh, a wormhole, which happens often. But he was one of the two guys that the Texas Rangers got from the Phillies when they finally traded their veteran stalwart, former All-Star, Gold Glove winner, Michael Young, uh, back in 2012 when they were kind of severing ties with him uh, as the midst of their uh, youth movement. And Lisa Alberto Bonilla and Josh Lindblom is who they got from Michael Young. When Chase Utley was finally traded by the Phillies after multiple years of speculation, when they finally began their rebuild, uh, the Phillies got John Ritchie and Darnell Sweeney, who you've never really heard of then and haven't heard much from since. So it's pretty clear that the last couple of years, the returns for mid to late 30-year-old middle infielders that have started to show a pretty clear decline and have big contracts, uh, there's not a great market for that. So I think there was a pretty good... Uh, a pretty clear signal that the Reds weren't going to bring back somebody of serious impact uh, for a guy like Brandon Phillips. You know, I mentioned when we, you know, were writing about the trade when it first happened that Jimmy Rollins had to sign a, a minor league contract to get a spot in camp this year. Uh, Juan Uribe is still a free agent. So uh, there aren't a whole lot of teams out there that are really looking for 35, 36 year old second basemen who have underperformed for five years offensively. So uh, I think what the Reds got back, is pretty in line with what you would have expected. Obviously, you would hope that if they were eating thirteen million bucks, they might have gotten uh, a slightly more attractive lottery ticket. But McCarrahan seems like if he's healthy, which has been a huge question mark, uh, a lefty reliever who can hit you know ninety five, ninety six with his fastball. Uh, maybe they know something about his health uh, that we don't. I mean, he hit Tommy John, I think, in March of twenty fifteen. So in theory, he should be able to show them something by the end of this year. But you know, I think taking a flyer on a guy like that, yeah, whatever. If that's what they could get, that's what they could get. And uh, I don't think it's too out of line uh, with how Phillips was valued, but uh, it certainly doesn't do a lot for for people that ignore contracts and just look at past careers uh, to expect it to be a, a you know kind of a, a, a memorable trade for getting rid of Brandon Phillips. I also think that it's um, it's still better perceptively to have traded Phillips than to release him which I think uh, was very much on the table. And um, I think it, it saves face for both the organization and for Phillips. And uh, perhaps that also uh, played into the reason why they were able to convince Phillips to accept the trade this time as opposed to back in November. Maybe he felt like uh, being released was uh, more of a reality than he had originally thought it could have been. I don't know. That's all. I, I can, 
<laughs> I cannot imagine the Facebook comments if the Reds had just released Phillips. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, that'd be a PR nightmare, especially for somebody who, you know, is he had a good enough career with the Reds that it's not going to be the last we've heard of him, um, regardless of how he severed ties with the organization. I mean, he spent 11 extremely productive years with the team. To do that and then also try to maintain relations with them down the road is something that just would have been, yeah, I don't, I don't know how they would have managed that. So this might just be a more uh, creative and celebratory way of, of uh, uh, letting him walk away gracefully than he otherwise would have. Yeah, I think, and, you know, thinking back on it too, it's like, you know, when you have a guy as popular as Brandon Phillips has been, you know, the past decade or so in a Reds uniform, it's, it does kind of make it for a little bit, of a unique situation and it's it you have to kind of handle it with kid gloves if you're in the front office as far as you know right and as, as you said it's imagine the facebook comments if they just you know one day in you know april were like hey we're cutting brandon phillips like there it would have been riots in the streets of uh of the west side probably you know it's I mean, who was the last player that was as popular in the city as Brandon Phillips? It's hard. Well, it's hard to come up with one that didn't. It's, it's hard. It's hard partly because, uh, like a lot of players, he has both his, uh, you know, people that adore him and people that, you know, are kind of turned off by him. Um, and so it kind of depends. You know, I, I would say. I mean, there have been plenty of beloved players who have moved. I mean, I think, you know we tend to focus on the people that criticized Adam Dunn, but I think people in general liked Adam Dunn. I don't know that they were brokenhearted. Maybe as some of the, as some fans are when, um, when Dunn was traded uh, compared to, you know, how some of the fans are today uh, with Phillips. But I, you know, I don't know. Cause I think a lot of people are very practical about, you know, the, the deal. And then I think there are people that are, there's always going to be people who are, you know, over the edge on what they think it means when you trade a, a 35 year old second baseman. Yeah. I mean, do you think that there's a, there's a difference between that, like the type of fan that is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like cast aspersions or anything, but the type of fan that disliked Adam Dunn and the type of fan, like, I, I feel like the, the fans that disliked Adam Dunn and were really cr- critical of him are the same fans that really like Brandon Phillips. It seems like those two kind of subsets are polar opposites to me. There may be some overlap. I mean, obviously, the people who but, ta- who really liked Adam Dunn tend to be people who think more like general managers. Right. And, and that's not – I don't intend that I, – I, I intentionally said it that way because I don't want it to be a smart, stupid thing or whatever. And that's right, not right. – you know, right. that's not what it's about. It's more people who tend to think of – structurally like how do you build a winning team you know that kind of stuff uh whereas the people who like brandon phillips maybe tend to be a little more uh emotional about the team uh a little mm-hmm. less analytical um but the thing is is that you know obviously uh especially during the you know most of the time that phillips was here in town um gms would have loved to have had phillips on their team so it, it, you know you don't necessarily have to be emotional you know only emotional to like Brandon Phillips. I just think that the people that it, that still look at Brandon Phillips as a player that deserves to be on the Reds, um, those tend to be people who 
like his smile and like his enthusiasm and like uh, the flashiness of his play uh, more than necessarily our analytical people who recognize that his numbers have tailed off over the years, despite the fact that his batting average is okay. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a huge key. I mean, like I, I <laughs> Minnie Minoso played a game when he was 50. I think I, I, if I was the GM, I think I would have liked him a lot more when he was playing at 27 than when he cameoed at age 50. You know, uh, Brandon Phillips has been uh, since the moment I really started reading about the Reds on the internet, uh, damn near a decade ago, I've up until the last maybe 16, 18 months, never once had a second thought in my mind about, oh, well, you know, who, who are the Reds going to have to roll out at second base this year? Uh, the fact that he made it that long, I mean, that's a that's a decade of uh, sustained uh, starting ability. I mean, that's, that's, that's huge uh, for any, that's what every baseball player dreams of when they're five, six, seven years old. Like, oh, I want to be a career baseball player and play for one team. Like that's pretty much what Brandon managed to pull off once he came to Cincinnati. And that's as much of a dream as for young baseball players as it is for young wannabe general managers. I mean, it's really easy for guys uh, uh, to run a team when they know that they've got a second baseman that they can roll out there until he's 35 years old and not really have to worry about finding a replacement or finding a backup or finding a platoon partner for him. Um, so in that regard, you know, uh, it, I guess there's an old saying that I'm going to butcher because I can't remember it exactly, but if you trade a guy away and you get nothing in return for him and he's had a career like a guy like Brandon Phillips had, you held on to him to, for the right amount of time to get as much out of him as you could. You know, if you trade a guy that, and you get three or four top prospects back, that means there's a lot more that guy, in theory, has to offer from some other team. Uh, the fact that the Reds got what they got for him and had to eat money to do it, it's a pretty good indication that, yeah, they held him for about the right shelf life. And, you know, as as great as it would be to see him stick around until he can't walk anymore as a member of the Reds, uh, there are only 25 active roster spots. There are only 40 act or forty uh, uh, roster spots in the 40-man roster. Like, Dilson Herrera, if I'm reading this correctly, is in his last option year this year. Uh, that's the byproduct of him being brought up so young uh, in 2014 with the Mets. If Jose Peraza can't get at bats and Dilson Herrera is behind him on the pecking order this year, how do you know what you have with Dilson Herrera before he's out of options next year? So trading Brandon Phillips, it obviously ends a, a, a great career with the Cincinnati Reds, but it's also kind of the final move of a larger transaction wheel uh, that started a year and a half, two years ago, um, when Todd Frazier was traded and Peraza came in, when Jay Bruce was traded and Herrera came in. Those guys, you, you got to find out what they can do. And it, 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 this is the move that allows that to happen. Well, and I guess the, the big question everybody's going to be talking about now is, who's the Reds' captain? Uh, Brandon Phillips was not the Reds' captain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say I saw a quote, a comment today that said he he was a clubhouse leader, and based on everything I've heard, there there's nothing that could be further from the truth. And that, and I'm not trying to disparage Brandon. Everybody has their role. I don't believe, from what I've heard, that Joey is a leader in the in the clubhouse either. Maybe with a, a few people, but not as a general. I don't think there's a general clubhouse leader right now on this team. Um, and I know you were probably just making a wisecrack about captain, but I think that it's it's relevant as the team starts to transition from to a younger team. You have to kind of look and see, okay, 
there needs to be somebody that's setting an example there. I'm not so sure that they have that player right now. Uh, now, somebody like Devin Mezzarocco could be that player, but he's got to be on the field. Uh, of anybody they have on the roster now, do you feel like he has the best bet to turn into that clubhouse leader type? Yeah, but we're also two years away or two years removed from his, you know, the, the last time he was playing. So it's really, I mean, it's, I think it's really hard to be a leader if you're rehabbing. Um, so he needs to he needs to be healthy more than anything. Uh, I think he does. I th- you know I think he mostly has respect from what I've what I've heard. Um, but who knows where that stands? You know, having been you know basically rehabbing for two years now. Is there a bigger wild card or X factor or whatever catchphrase you want to put in Major League Baseball at this point than what the Reds have with Devin Mizrocco? I mean. He's got two years and 20 million bucks basically guaranteed to him over the next two years. And since the end of the 2014 season, Mike Leake has more home runs than Devin Mesoraco. And I mean, we've seen top end 2014 performance from Devin when healthy, but is I, I, I struggle to actually find a bigger question mark on any of the major league baseball teams in either league than Devin is going into this year. I, I think that's a good question. I think it's um... I don't know. It's a weird situation because, you know, say he comes back and is healthy or reasonably healthy this year and reasonably healthy next year. Then you're in that position where, you know, do you do you commit to Devin for a couple more years? Or do you remember the fact that he had two, you know, two unhealthy years? Um, you know, catchers are catchers are hard to 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 manage in that sense. You know, when do you when when do you cut that line? Um, and I guess it kind of depends on, you know, how he performs and whether or not he plays, uh, like if he, is he going to go out and play first base, you know, once every 10 days or something? Um, or, you know, I doubt Joey's going to take that much time off, but, you know, are they going to be able to find another place to put him on the field every once in a while? Or is he just going to be a part-time catcher then? Yeah. The, the circumstances surrounding it, like the, the peripheral factors you mentioned, like if he's, uh, I don't know, uh, if he'd been with, uh, the Red Sox, you know, and David Ortiz is retiring and, uh, you know, up until last year, Hanley Ramirez had never played first base before and they moved him over there to do that. If he happened to be with a team that had a DH and had nobody entrenched at first base and had a more rotational ability, what, what you know, how do you project that on that particular team? But with the Reds, not only is he uh, a catcher who hasn't proven he could catch the last two years, but he's also on a team that, you know, has – corner outfielders they're waiting to see and corner outfield prospects coming up and a first baseman who's as entrenched as any player in the league. Um, how, how do you, how do you, how do you find anything out about him unless he's healthy enough to play the most rigorous spot on the diamond? It's, uh, um, it's obviously not the conundrum that I'm uh, sure Dick Williams wakes up every morning trying to figure out most. So, so Joel, another, uh, another interesting kind of player that I was, would have thought might jump into this kind of captain role could be Billy Hamilton. So as, as someone who it seems like the Reds like him enough that he's going to be here for a little while, um, you know, he is going to play a big part in the lineup. He's a really high energy guy, makes a lot of exciting plays and can kind of be that public presence like Brandon Phillips is, you know, I'm wondering if maybe he's the guy to, uh, take on that role in the clubhouse too with these younger players coming up as you know, he's, you know, 
Billy's in what his fourth season now, third season, and he, I mean, you know, he'll be one of the longest tenured uh, position players that the Reds have. Yeah, perhaps, but I don't know. I I don't know. He just doesn't. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. He I don't know. I, he doesn't seem like an authoritative voice to me. I guess is part of it. And that's not a that's not a knock on his high pitched voice either. That's more of a I mean that more in like a <laughs> I wasn't going to say like a fun loving kind of guy and maybe somebody that keeps the clubhouse loose. But I don't know that he's necessarily. I, I see him as somebody who's going to, um, you know, rally his team together. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see if there's somebody you know one of these even if it's a guy who's in the minors right now that steps up and could kind of you know take that role and be just be that guy. And I feel like the last guy that maybe the Reds have had in the clubhouse is someone like Todd Frazier, where he was kind of that vocal vocal leader in the clubhouse. And I, I don't know if the Reds have had somebody as in that role since him. But um, let's, let's move on to uh, just kind of what it means to the Reds infield. So, you know, since, since the trade, um, today was the first day the pitchers and catchers reported to spring training. So um, we got a couple of answers. It sounds like uh, Jose Peraza is going to be the everyday second baseman going forward. And um, Zach Cozart is going to be the full-time shortstop is, is how that was uh, put from Brian Price. So um, just let's just kind of go into what does this mean for, you know, Dilson Herrera and um, you know, how does this kind of answer some of the questions that we might've had a couple of weeks ago? Well, with Herrera that I think the biggest question probably is that he's spent the majority of the last handful of years just playing exclusively at second base and obviously with, you know, Peraza being, as Brian Price mentioned today, the the anointed second baseman going into spring training and presumably for opening day, uh, that doesn't, you know, moving Brandon Phillips didn't exactly open a role for him in his, how to, how to describe it. It didn't open the most pigeonholed role for him. Um, so the question becomes, you know, are the Reds willing to move uh, Herrera around the diamond the way that they did Peraza last year? Uh, second question being, is Herrera capable of doing that? You know, you don't have to go too far back to see uh, Eugenio Suarez, who came up as a shortstop, who had played, like, I don't think he played third base since he was a 19-year-old in rookie ball. Uh, and this time last year was suddenly anointed the Reds' third baseman from day one and played there pretty much the entire year. So, uh, you know, how much of, of, of Herrera's development was that he couldn't play third base or shortstop versus... Uh, that the Mets chose not to play him there. Um, so how they kind of seem to work him around the diamond, uh, I think becomes the biggest question in this. Because like I mentioned before, uh, I think it's his last option year. So between now and next year, if they want him to be a big part of the Reds' future, at the big league level, they've got to learn something about him this year, both at second and if he can play anywhere else. You know, I, I think Cozart being deemed the full-time starter and the shortstop and uh, you know, not a utility guy and not going to rotate. I think that's probably as much PR as it is uh, uh, actual plans from Brian Price. Uh, Cozart finishing last year with a sore knee and an Achilles issue and all of that on top of the the major knee surgery he had the year before. I think 
if anything, it's 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 preserving his ability to be a trade chip and giving him confidence going into spring training that he's not being overlooked. And in theory, that might make him play better. But I think given Cozart, uh, given his performance over the last couple of years, if he's healthy, he deserves to play, obviously. Um, and I think that's kind of the way that Brian Price put it today. But um, I'm interested to see if they're willing to use Herrera in that you know, uh, uh, three to four start a week roll around the diamond the way Peraza was last year, because obviously with Phillips gone, there are plate appearances available. But the question is, do you want Herrera playing every day in AAA or being suddenly a utility player for the first time in his career and doing so at the big league level? Do you guys have a preference on whether you'd see them use him as that utility guy as opposed to having full-time opportunities in AAA? I don't think I would like him to be – I mean there was a there was a period last year where we were frustrated with how Peraza was being used. And and I hope that they don't do that with Herrera at the big league level. Um, I would like it that if he's going to come up, he's playing you know, at least three or four days a week. You know, we, we had, as I recall, there was a, a time last year with Peraza where he came up and then played like once a week or once every five days or something like that. And uh, I don't know. That's a waste of time from, from my perspective. But real quick, I wanted to touch back on, on Cozart. What, you know, it kind of made big news, or, and I know some people were frustrated by them saying that Cozart was going to be the starting shortstop. But we also have to remember it's the first day of spring training. And, you, you know, Brian Price has to manage his players. And coming out on the first day of spring training and telling everybody that uh, Cozart is going to uh, sit the bench or whatever, he's got to deal with those personalities more, you know. And I don't know if necessarily he's being legit, and maybe he is. Maybe he has every intention of playing Cozart. But I also think he recognizes, and I think the Reds recognize, that uh, uh that Cozart's not the future, and there will be a point at some time during this season where, uh, whether it's because of injury or because he's traded or just because the Reds have just decided to move on, that that Cozart will not be the everyday shortstop. It may start out that way, but there's there's reasons for doing that. You kind of you have to manage the clubhouse, and you know Cozart's well liked. He's worked his way into that position. You don't want to, you know, there's there's there is an aspect of it where you don't want to look like you're punishing a guy who's you know paid his dues to kind of get to that spot. You want to you want to show that there is a reward for the efforts. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that you know that's right now. I I don't think that Brian Price could kind of go any other way with um, you know Zach Cozart not being named the starter at shortstop. Um, you know, I I think that it reminds me a lot, and uh, I think Wick, you mentioned this before. You know how they handled Peraza last year. I think that they kind of are have to do the same thing with Herrera this year to where, um, you know, when they reported to spring training last year, you know, Peraza was kind of rumored to maybe be getting a spot. Um, but you know, there really wasn't a infield place to play him. Um, you know, it was kind of, Oh, well, if a spot opens up, then, you know, maybe he could work its way into it, but he's going to have to go to triple a and play hard and prove himself. And I think that, you know, with <clears throat> with Phillips gone, I think that there's that same there's that same 
temptation to look at that open second base spot and say, oh, well, that's where Dilson Herrera can play. He's going to need to play. Like, let's get him there. But I think that Brian Price is probably doing the right thing and saying, hey, Peraza's earned a spot. You know, he's going to, he can play second and he's earned a spot on the big league team as a regular, you know, in 2017. And, you know, Cozart hasn't done anything to, you know, lose his spot. So, you know, I think they're going to make Dilson Herrera kind of force their hand a little bit, even though, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be in the big leagues at some point this year and getting, if not everyday playing time, regular playing time, probably a lot like what uh, Peraza got last year. But I think it'll, it's going to be an evolving situation and not something that they're going to, as Joel, as you said, on the first day of spring training, make that determination. Yeah, saying saying that uh, quote these things tend to sort themselves out is a little cliche, but they do. I mean, we walked into you know this time last year we were talking about a an opening day starting rotation with Anthony Discafani and John Lamb and John Moscott and Michael Lorenzen, and none of them were healthy on opening day, and or Moscott was, but then he blew his elbow out two weeks later, and Homer Bailey was going to be back May first, and. Ended up coming back July 30th or whatever it was. Like these statements made on the first day of spring training. Yeah, it's it's as much PR and team building and quote unquote coaching as it is, uh, you know, statements of fact. And I think that this is uh, an endorsement more than it is uh, 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 something that's been written in stone. And, you know, we talk about Jose Peraza getting playing time. The only reason he got playing time is because Zach Cozart was hurt and then Billy Hamilton was hurt. And then other guys that you don't, you know, you don't pencil in as being hurt when it's the first day of spring training get hurt. And that's how playing time opens up. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, I think Peraza, as Brian Price said today, he views as a regular, which means that if he's not hurt, he's playing every day. I think Herrera is definitely that guy who is first in line for being, you know, when somebody else gets hurt, he gets playing time every day. And how they negotiate that out of the out of the gate is going to be something to watch because, you know, as as young as Herrera is, uh, as talented as he as he is, as highly uh, regarded as he's been at times in his prospect career, he made his major league debut in 2014. I mean, 2014 was a long time ago. Asking him to to still sit in marinated AAA again in 2017 after that long of a stretch of time. It's obvious that there's plenty of people in the baseball world that think that he's ready to play at the big league level now and has been for several years. So uh, I don't think the Reds would have uh, sought him in trade for Jay Bruce without thinking that as well. Um, but they have to pick their spots pretty well to do so. And and, and um, I'm as anxious as anyone to see how they try to uh, wedge him into playing time as many spots as possible. Right, so uh, let's move on to um, the next segment. So this is something we did last on last week's show, and we're gonna bring it back for another round. I don't know if how how many more of these we're gonna do, but Eric has the baseball prospectus annual, and he's gonna read a couple of uh, player descriptions, and uh, Joel and I are gonna guess what player he's talking about. So Eric, you got one of those right. uh, queued up. They are queued up, Joel. This is a little broader than the 25-man roster, so okay. they can be out there a little bit. All right, first one, and I will try and remember to not say the name this time. <laughs> Everywhere on the scouting sheet, this player seems to be a little too polished to properly evaluate. 
He throws pretty hard and get, can get to 96 when he really needs it, sitting 92-94. But what stands out is that in his early 20s, he's already figured out how to use that power against hitters. He doesn't have a breaking ball that can get him into, uh, get him to two strikes or consistently put hitters away, but he's learned to use both a curve and a slider to keep hitters off balance. What's missing now is a changeup that really does something. Then it will all be about whether he can respond once he encounters hitters who quickly and lethally adjust to good command and sequencing. Is that Michael Lorenzen? It is not. I'm going to go a little bit off grid and say Amir Garrett. Not Amir Garrett. Hmm. He has not been on the big league roster yet, if that is a clue. Uh, Not on the 40-man roster even? Uh, I don't know. uh, I'm not sure. He has the highest he has been is Pensacola so far. Well, you got me then. Tyler Tyler Molly? Yeah. Boom. So it's interesting. So just to rehash that, they're saying that he hasn't necessarily thrown or hasn't uh, perfected his changeup. Is that what it said? I know there was this Uh, changeup clause there. Yeah. What's missing is a changeup that really does something was the line. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you know, Molly's a righty, right? So I'm, I'm presuming they're talking about throwing the yeah. changeup low and away to left-handers to be that strikeout pitch, which is interesting because I guess Molly hasn't really been that big of a strikeout pitcher throughout his minor league career so far. So interesting. Sounds like they're relatively positive on him, though. Yeah, that's probably the most positive review I think I've I've seen of his so far this offseason. Ready for number two? Let's do it. All right. I think this will be a little easier. The Reds' bullpen was an almost unprecedented disaster in 2016, but it wasn't an unmitigated one. Meet this player. He made a weapon out of an every-now-and-then splitter that induced a ton of swing and misses. This player can graze triple digits with a sinker and has a vicious slider that hums in at around 90. Both of those primary pitches pose plenty of problems for opposing batters, even when this player's command faltered. That third pitch really turned them inside out, Barring injury, this player is a valuable relief arm. It's not Ross Ollendorf, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they forgot to include him in this uh, year's edition. Uh, what about uh, Tony Singrani? Not Tony Singrani. Am I all right? Am I close? Uh, I think I think I know who this one is. <sighs> Any other guesses? Joel, if you don't have. Is it is somebody was on the big league roster last year? Yes. I think I've, I think I've got a guess, and I have read this, but not memorized it yet. If we're out of it. All right, I have another. I have another guess after Joe goes. I'm gonna kick myself because I can't. I can't seem to. I mean, Jumbo was the only other one that was close to 100 miles an hour last year, wasn't he? Not Jumbo. BK, what's your guess? Um, I'm thinking. Is it Blake Wood? It is Blake there Wood. You go. He wasn't touching triple digits, was he? <laughs> <laughs> I have no. I don't know. I, f- I feel like I feel like I've, I, I remember him hitting ninety seven. That much I can give him. I, I don't know if I ever saw anything above that. Uh, but I guess approaching triple digits, if you can throw ninety seven, everybody's approaching <laughs> triple digits. <laughs> uh. Uh, he can. The phrase was he can graze. Graze. There you go. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of a stretch. Yeah, right? <laughs> the splitter, I think, is what gave it away for me, because I do remember uh, reading and or stumbling across something that Blake Wood threw a splitter that was his kind of his signature pitch, and I think that's why that stood out to me. All right, well, that's that's a pretty good one. One other, all right, our, our last uh, topic of the evening is we'll go into the uh, Red Reporter fun bag. And we, uh, Wick put a uh, call to action out for uh, some responses. So I'm going to pick the, I'm going to pick the best one that uh, we liked. And uh, we're going to just kind of go into that a little bit. Actually, I I have one for Joel also. So Joel, do you think Scott Hatterberg is a good player? (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, he was. And yes, I am wearing my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Not the Kulingas jersey. <laughs> no, I got to break that out. It's just it's been sitting in a closet for a long time. <laughs> that that is the jersey that will literally have imminent show off value until the day it falls apart. Uh huh. I have I haven't had it out in forever because I don't like I don't go to games that often outside of work. So you don't yeah you don't wear your uh, jerseys to work. <laughs> I should I should just to see how people respond. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the uh, the fun bag question that we have is from it comes to us from Matthew Trueblood, MA Trueblood on Twitter. He says, "In what order would you rank Aquino, Duval, Irvin, Shebler, and Winker?" So a bunch of uh, Reds outfield prospects and current players, mm. presumably for uh, the corner outfield positions going forward. Who's your who's your number one guy in that list going forward? I, I I think I think Winker has to be my number one guy just because Sons Joey Votto, this organization has been so OBP starved for the longest time that I I can't see what Winker has done, even if he never hits another home run in his life, and not be high on him for the ability to actually get on base. Uh, so I think he's one, but Duvall is that that he's that wild card. Joel, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on Duvall because I one of my one of my early Red Reporter seminal moments was watching you break down Juan Francisco versus Todd Frazier and identifying a guy who could strike out thirty percent of the time and actually trying to project him as being a major leaguer. And Duvall is he's not Juan Francisco in the low walk, high strikeout range, but he's not too far off. Um, obviously, his defensive metrics last year propped him up, but I feel like he's that guy, especially with his second half, that I have an incredibly hard time valuing, but I I can't not put Winker in that number one spot right now. I, I think I'd put Winker number one as well because, because his bat is a little more developed in terms of, like, I mean, he's not going to have the power that the, some of the other guys are going to have, but man, like, I don't know. I feel like if you can hit, you are going to do pretty well in great American ballpark. Um, you know, he may only be a 20 home run guy in great American ballpark, but if he's hitting, you know, 280 with a 350 on base percentage, he's going to do pretty well for himself only hitting 20 home runs. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think I look, I mean, I, I don't know these prospects as well as maybe you guys do. I look at Okina's numbers and, you know, obviously the power looks gorgeous. Um, you know, uh, Irvin, 
I mean, he can get on base, but you know, can is he going to hit well enough? Otherwise, eh, you know. So, I I I would probably put Winker on top. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, I look forward to that. I I think it's. You know, it's kind of funny because I think some people are down on him, uh, partly because you know he's had the injuries, uh, the power has not developed yet, but he's still only 22. And I remember, and I don't know if this is true, so this is this is one of those things that I remember from back when I used to like pay attention to this stuff more closely. But it what it's not unusual for hitters to start developing more power at 25 or 24, 25. Um, you know, so like I don't feel like he has to be you know, hit the ground as a 25 home run guy to get up here and be a 25 home run guy eventually. So uh, I definitely put him first. Back to uh, to your question about Duvall, um, you know, he – I, I kind of feel like he's a little bit like Todd Frazier actually. Um, maybe he doesn't walk a, quite as much, but, you know, I, I think there's some similarities there. I don't think he – I don't think he's as bad as Francisco was in terms of taking a walk in the minors, but – I. I really believe that he is going to have to improve that his plate discipline because I don't think I think the 33 home runs is a little bit of a fluke. I think he's going to be you know he may be like 23 to 25 home runs and if he's not getting on base, uh, it's going to be hard to justify him playing every day in that situation. And I think he's going to eventually end up as a as a um, as a platoon guy. That's my you know I I. I'm kind of talking out of my my rear end here. I haven't studied him and really broken down the numbers on him. I don't kind of do that stuff as much as I used to. But based on what I've seen, I'm not confident that he's going to repeat the amount of uh, the the amount of success he had at the plate last year. Joe, it kind of sounds like you're you're saying we're all getting old. <laughs> I, well, see. I mean, I I'm certainly getting old. I I mean, I don't I don't think you guys are quite uh, near my age. Um, but you know, having having two kids and a wife that travels a lot, I find that I don't have as much time to play around as I used to. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, yeah. I, I feel like I've, I've bumped into similar uh, similar thresholds in my ability to pull off that same thing as well. But that's part of the reason why I'm kind of as intrigued by this particular year as I have been for any year in the last three or four because it's new guys. It's Joey Votto and. Uh, whatever Homer Bailey and Devin Mezzarocco are, and then 22 other guys largely that I don't really know what the hell to expect of. You know, I, I kind of have to dig into the numbers because I, I've not been able to see them enough to to have assumptions that I know are basically true based on six years of data. And uh, for the first time in a long time, I feel like the Reds have reached that point of, uh, uh, of complete roster overhaul that are going to make it all I, – I, I've got to look into it again. I don't, I don't know, you know. Yep, and I think with that, that's uh, about as as good of a place to uh, end this episode. So uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Red Reporter. Follow uh, Joel Luckup on Twitter at JLuckup. And uh, make sure to come visit the site. We have a lot going on, um, you know, going into the season and going into spring training. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll keep, having good stuff to report on today was kind of uh it was kind of nice to actually have stuff to talk about today so uh let's hope that continues and uh we will see you next time right on thanks guys